the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Portions of Eye on Real Estate, sponsored by Hempleaf. We won't put anything on your body that you wouldn't put in your body. This is Eye on Real Estate, your premier source for real estate information. From the heart of New York City and the tri-state area to the most active real estate hotspots across America. Keeping you plugged in to the latest real estate market trends. From mortgage news and legal developments to everything you need to know about buying or selling a property. Benefited by the advice of the experts. Now, here's the host of Eye on Real Estate, the vice chair of Douglas Elliman, Dottie Herman. We're back, and time really flies when you're having fun and you enjoy what you're talking about. We have a very special guest on now, and I think this is a great subject. We have Zach Griffin, who's a contractor, co-host of Tiny House Nation. Okay, it's available for streaming on Netflix and national spokesman and board member of the nonprofit operation Tiny home, and it's about the tiny home movement. And Zach, I've been following this for over a year. I think I saw a show last year on tiny homes, and um, actually, I even have the magazines. How did you get involved with this movement? Do I have you, Zach, or did I lose you? Well, until Zach comes back, I can tell you a little about tiny homes because there's a whole movement for tiny homes. And uh, they are homes that are probably less than 1,000 feet. They could be 500. They could be 600. Uh, all depends. Uh, and there's a movement. And there's a lot of pros and cons, okay, over tiny homes. So, one of the things that you would want to know is, can you live small? I don't know if you've ever seen the TV show, but they show these homes, and they look kind of perfect, like, you know, the the table falls into the walls, the bed falls into the walls, uh, everything falls into each other, and when you are not living in it and you just are looking at it, it could look pretty well. But I, I really have a, unless you're like one person, I would think it'd be really hard to live that way. Um, and not only that, you never have any privacy. But there are pros and cons. So um, some of the pros are, well, one Good thing about a tiny home is cleaning it is a breeze. If you only have to, it's like cleaning a bedroom. I like it, that's probably the size. So cleaning is a breeze. Um, if you want to know another pro, uh, then you could live in a tiny home. It's cheaper and, you know, 
it's cheaper. Okay, it's the overall price of construction is cheaper. I could live in a tiny home. Okay, um, for me, uh, I I think I would lose it. Okay, and well, where was I? Was tell me, come on! I was talking without him, Zach. Hi, Dottie. Hi, Zach. I kind of Hi. kind of started without you because I I didn't know where you were, and so I I was talking about tiny homes because I followed them, and you have such great credentials. I told everyone they can get you on Netflix, and you're the national spokesman and the board member of Operation Tiny Homes. But and I know a lot about the matter of fact. I have the magazine Tiny Homes right in front of me, and I saw a show last year. Okay on it. So tell me, how did you get involved and, and how did you land the co-hosting role on Tiny House Nation? That's a good question. Um, in 2011, I was kind of putting, putting together, I was planning on traveling for quite a bit of the winter. Um, and I was kind of looking, you know, I had a variety of different vehicles that I had actually kind of tricked out a little bit like a tiny home. I had a an RV that I had fixed up. And then I had a van that I had kind of fixed up, you know, and put a wood stove in it and it was great. Um, but it was pretty, I don't know. It, there was, it was, I'm going to say there was room for improvement. Right. And when I saw a tiny house, I kind of already, it was, it was a tiny house on wheels. And to me that was so appealing because it was like a lot of the same advantages that I was looking for from my van and from my, uh, my RV but it was just done with a lot more class, right? And and also a lot better insulation where, you know, if you're going into the wintertime. So anyways, I saw a tiny home and it wasn't a question of like, oh my God, where am I going to put my shoe collection? It was just like, whoa, that's amazing. And, um, you know, I was a home builder, so I wasn't frightened of, of the construction aspect. And right. kind of within maybe five months of having seen and been kind of exposed to the idea of tiny homes, I had built my own. And so that's exactly. kind of where it came from. And yeah, go ahead. When we talk tiny homes, are we talking like under a thousand square feet? You know, what would you consider? I know they could be like 500, 600. What would be like the, the, the law would be like anything under that? Are there any numbers that you would use to consider it a tiny home? You know what? I try to steer away from numbers. And so what okay. I really believe strongly is that a tiny home is any anybody's home where every inch of the space is utilized. Right. Or if there's where you're essentially looking at it and trying to identify wasted space and make sure that there isn't any essentially. And so, you know, it could be. Um, and that really depends on somebody's use of the space, right? If they're not living there all right. that often, they're not going to spend that much time. Well, they can have a lot smaller of a home. If they're going to be in the space and they need that, but it's going to be utilized, well, it can be bigger and still be considered a tiny home. Um, and it doesn't have to be on wheels. It doesn't have to be a cabin. It doesn't have, you know, tiny homes in my mind could be apartments. So that's the very loose kind of definition of a tiny home because I feel like it's really tiny home is a part of a bigger movement of minimalism, right? So we want anyone who feels like they want to be a part of that movement to be able to have a tiny home. However, 
as you know, when you're talking about zoning and when you're talking about building codes, um, definitions are important to be specific, right? And so as the movement has moved forward, we have kind of been pushed into the situation of trying to define a square footage that creates it as a tiny house. And in 2016, well, it actually went into the code body, the IRC code body in 2018. There's something called Appendix Q that specifically calls out tiny homes as any fully functioning home uh, that has this under 400 square feet of, of floor space, of interior floor That's space. That's so, under 400 square feet. Yes, yes. And so that in part is done because before Appendix Q was implemented, it was really very difficult, if not impossible, to comply with the international residential codes and construct a habitable, habitable space right, under 400 right. square feet, right? So that yeah, Appendix Q is really important. And essentially all it does is it just gives some exemptions from the broader code to structures that are under, for example, um, headspace above a staircase can be lower, right? Right. Instead but of you're saying, foot, but, you but can you're do saying, Right. But you're saying that uh, my tiny home can be bigger than yours, okay? It's just, it's more about also utilizing every bit of the space that you have. So, that, yeah. that, and how there, many people it, are in the space? Well, of course. You know? I mean, I think you can live, you know, I, well, look, I don't know what you know. I just know I saw a show and they had these beautiful homes that were on, you know, that were tiny homes and they were just beautiful. However, yep. I thought, yep. okay, well, wait a second. If you have to move out, everyone has to walk out of the house to get back in and then you have to pull the bed. I mean, it was just maybe for one person. I, you know, it depends. And it depends on how you sure. live. I mean, I look at New sure, York sure. City and I come from Long Island. So when I first started doing real estate in New York City and I became the CEO of Douglas Elm and I, I would see these apartments that to me, okay, I'm like, how do five people live in this little 800 square foot space? Like, if you hate somebody that day, you have to look at them. You can't even, you can't even turn your back and not see them. I said, how do they do it? Okay, and but they do. So I think it's well, all a matter of it. you know. I don't think I don't think anybody wants to live with five strangers in an 800 square foot space, you know, as their first preference, unless they are just really, really extroverts and they just have to be around people all the time. I think the vast majority of human beings do that kind of thing when they get pushed into it because of their balancing it versus the other choices of essentially not being able to live in New York City or having to live in a part of New York City that they didn't really care for or, you know, all of those others. So they're, they're, they're making calculated decisions. And I think that that is why, actually, I was excited to talk to you because coming from New York City, that's one of the places where <laughs> I get an attitude from people of like, oh, tiny houses? Ha! Try, like, try living in my apartment in the 90s in New York City. You know, so there's already this kind of, like, feeling of like, oh, we can handle anything, small spaces, that doesn't scare us kind of thing coming from New York City, where it doesn't come the same way from other places. Um, Now, what really is my role, I think, in trying to steer the conversation is that, you know, 
once you identify, okay, well, what is a tiny house, right? And then the conversation typically goes right to kind of what you were talking about, whether or not you could do it. Can I pull off living in a tiny house, right? Could I do right. that? And when we're talking about a, a tiny house, let's, let's say any space under 400 square feet. Well, the truth of the matter is if the advantages of moving into the smaller space outweigh the disadvantages or the inconveniences of that space, then that's what people are going to make their decision on. And, and the truth of the matter is that actually it doesn't matter whether or not you could live in a tiny house, right? Because if you can't do it, then don't. That's fine. We got plenty of other homes that are of much larger space in this country right, that no, no. you could you could pursue. So that so, and I, I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm just trying to say what I'm working on is actually removing the obstacles to people who do want to live in a very small footprint, right? For whatever reason, financial or whether that is kind of their moral um, judgment upon you know their carbon footprint. Right now in our country, there's laws that actually prevent people from having that self-determination over whether or not they could handle it, right? So that's where we're at. And um, my work with the Tiny Home Industry Association is 100% about kind of bringing those barriers to light and really talking people through why people might want a tiny home and what the actual, what the demand is, where the demand from. And I think you kind of hit on it real quick and I'll, and I'll throw it back to you real quick, but what it really is down to is the demographics and the way that our been built that's been in contrast made that our population trends and our demographics have been shifting. And so for example, last 10 years, less than 7% of the homes that have been built, the new construction, are 1,400 square foot in last. Which is smaller, isn't right? it? Is it? Wasn't it larger before that? That's... Well, 1,400 square feet, in my mind, is a, you know, that's a, that's a reasonable size you would think of as a starter home, right? Right, right but it's and not a mansion it's... by any chance. I mean, it's a, you know. No, it's a, it's a small home, and they typically have two or three bedrooms. You know, right. it's, it's at your standard, like, 1950s rent, right? That kind of size. The kind of size that used to be the standard for families in the United States. And keep in mind, back in the 50s and the 60s, the family on average was quite a bit larger, right? So for the last five decades, the demographics have been, have been moving really towards smaller sizes. People are having fewer children altogether, but they're also having children later in life. Um, and then also divorce rates in older generations are up. And what that means is that this massively expanding population in our country of single adults. Right? True. And so we also have a whole lot of married couples without children. And if you add those um that group together, single adults makes up nearly 50% of our country now. And then another 25% are married children. So nearly three quarters of our country are either one or two people. And that's actually reflected because 70% of the homes in our country have um, one or two people in them. 
and that's it. And so the the amount of nuclear families has shrunk to 20% of our country. Um, households with children in all together has is now only 27% of our population. So this huge shift in the way that people shift. are living. Yeah. And then our housing, the way that we've been building homes, has actually been going in the opposite. The home size has been getting bigger and bigger. And the smaller homes that could kind of fill the need for this ballooning population of, of older couples without children and younger people that are getting married later um, that don't need such large homes has not been filled. And that's what has led us to this really kind of the affordable housing crisis that we're in today. Right. So you found a niche that is needed. Uh, I, I, listen, I, I lived in a... My first house was like a little cottage, and it, you know, I mean, it, it was mm-hmm. tiny. It had four, and it's just two bedrooms. They weren't even master bedrooms, and that was it—a little kitchen. That when I leaned back, I hit into my refrigerator. But it was a house, and I was okay with yeah. it. But let me ask you something: mm-hmm. because I do, and I don't think that I, you know, from what I see, the millennials and 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 the uh, generations after that are less. Um, they they don't. They care a lot less than the baby boomers did about having mansions. Okay, they don't. Yeah. They want to be connected, and they don't need. They like nice houses and nice finishes, but they don't need the big, big uh, um, mansion on the hill. Okay, nor do they want it. So yeah. I think that's also a trend as we see go forward. But I want to know I about. Uh, yeah, but I want to know about you. You serve, serve as the co-host on Tiny House Nation, uh, and it's available for streaming on Netflix. What was your favorite build of the series? Hmm. You know, I mean, one that kind of jumps out instantly is there was a a home that I did in um, Fayetteville, Arkansas, and it was kind of you know it was me and, and Brian who was the main architect, but you know I have my my influence within the process and um, the woman who actually is like the lead violinist in the Trans-Siberian Orchestra, she's a total rock star named Asha. Um, she was kind of coming and she was hemming and hawing and the, uh, about what type of home to get because, you know, some tiny homes are in foundations, some ha- have wheels, right? And the wheels are kind of appealing for people who want to maybe move sometime and want to bring their home with them or, if they just want to have, you know, the ability like Asha did, she really wanted to be able to go to music festivals where she plays and have a place to stay, but also have it kind of like this instant kind of stage. And so she really liked the ideas of wheels, but they wouldn't allow the wheels. And so what we did was we built the minimum size home that was allowed in Fayetteville, which was 400 square foot. So we hit that minimum. And then we built part of the home on a trailer that essentially docked into the home. So the two places essentially like, um, they, they looked like each other. Um, so it fits, but, Zach, one, but part of the home was modal. Can you hold on? Let's just do this quick commercial because it's important for us to hear it. Okay. We'll be right back with Zach Griffin, co-host of tiny house nation. And we're talking about tiny houses. It's something you don't want to miss. We'll be right back after a quick commercial break.
At Staples, you can count on every project being print perfect, guaranteed. I need presentations and brochures printed, and they have to be perfect. Your bounded presentations, brochures with the finest folds, and more will be done right every time. That's our print big promise. Now at Staples, get $10 off your document printing and marketing materials order of $50 or more, plus 20% back by a store bonus. Try Staples and see the difference. Ends 225. Rewards members only. Bonus must be redeemed in store. See staples.com slash stores slash print big for details. Progressive presents Adjusting to the Suburbs. I never thought I'd care about gardening until I bought a house in the suburbs. But now I find myself in conversations about liquid fertilizer, and I wonder, am I the fertilizer guy now? <laughs> no, no way. Everyone knows the ratio between phosphorus and nitrogen, right? Yeah, I'm still totally cool. Anyway, when you save with Progressive by bundling your home and auto, that's the easy part of adjusting to the suburbs. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company coverage provided in service by affiliates and third-party insurers. Mike Lindell and MyPillow are launching the new MyPillow 2.0 with a special buy one, get one free offer. The MyPillow 2.0 offers a brand new temperature regulating technology that keeps you comfortable throughout the night. The new fabric dissipates heat and humidity to create a cooling sensation to maintain a, a cooler surface temperature. MyPillow knows core body temperature plays a big role in how well you sleep. The new fabric technology helps regulate your body temperature throughout the night by creating a lower surface temperature for a more restful night's sleep. Machine washable and dryable with a 10-year warranty and a 60-day money-back guarantee and made in the USA. Just go to the radio listeners page at MyPillow.com, use the promo code AM970 or call 800-651-0798 800-651-0798 Don't miss this incredible opportunity to buy one, get one free on the new MyPillow 2.0 800 651 Oh, seven, nine, eight. This is Dottie Herman, Vice Chair of Douglas Elliman and host of Ion Real Estate on AM 970, The Answer. Listen, I just discovered a new line of skincare products that I have to tell you about. I've tried, I've just tried so many products that have been on the market for many years, so that's why I'm so excited about hemp leaf. The Vanilla Passion Skin Cream is soft and scent, and the scent is so calming. The feel on my skin, well, it's just amazing. It's not at all greasy, and I can feel my skin perking up. The Black Soap, while it may look less than inviting, was the most amazing surprise. It's smooth and creamy and makes my skin feel soft and hydrated. I'm really looking forward to trying the rest of the product line and sharing my thoughts with you. I would never put anything in in or on my body that I wouldn't put in it. So visit us at www.hempleaf, and that's H-E-M-P-L-I-E-F dot com. Okay, that's www.hempleaf, H-E-M-P-L-I-E-F dot com. And if you answer the word Dottie as the checkout, you'll receive 10% off. Continuing with Eye on Real Estate, your premier source for real estate information. Here's the host of Eye on Real Estate, the vice chair of Douglas Elliman, Dottie Herman. And we're back. And so I'm so excited to have Zach Giffen, who's the co-host of Tiny House Nation. Uh, that's streaming, available for streaming on Netflix. And we were in the middle of talking about how you became the co-host. And... 
how do people do they get in touch with you to build and there was i had a few questions and i guess you mm-hmm. can can you can you buy the land do you rent like if you have it on wheels then i guess it would be like a trailer but is there any way that you can buy the land or lease the land if you don't want to like go around with it if you want to stay in a, the same place yeah um so it's changing the laws are changing essentially and because of zoning, you can't really do it like on a national level. And, and you know, there are right. some places that have state zoning. Um, right. But essentially, it's got to be place by place. So it's a process. But um, there are a lot of places, especially in the last two years, that have written ordinances that essentially are allowing tiny homes on wheels, what, what we call movable tiny homes. So they don't have to be on wheels, but they could be on skids. They could but just on a non-permanent foundation to be used as accessory dwelling units, as primary dwelling units on your own property. So that would answer your question about whether you could buy property, move your tiny home on there, you know, hook it up to utilities and septic. But typically our cities are already built, right? And so unless we're going to like tear down or we're going to increase the sprawl, the available places to put tiny homes are really backyards, right? And so it's really fitting into the the vast majority of where the movement is right now is cities and counties opening opening up to be using um, accessory uh, movable accessory dwelling units, and they're calling them MADU, right? So it's an MADU, and that's really in my mind where the big opportunity for tiny homes to not only become a viable housing option that's affordable and doesn't take federal assistance and subsidy, but also a way for them to actually impact um, people's financial realities and also the overall housing market, right? Because um, if we just take tiny homes and force them into trailer parks, essentially, there's not going to be enough places to put these homes for it to actually impact people's bottom line or the, or the real estate market in general. But once you start allowing them as accessory dwelling units, now it completely changes the game. Well, I know out, uh, you know, I, I have a house in the Hamptons and out in Sag Harbor, you're allowed to have, um, depending on how much land, but you don't have to have a lot. They allow accessory houses. Mm-hmm. And I know a lot of friends of yeah. mine who have like a one room little house away from their house mm-hmm. on their land and they don't have tons of land either and they might have a kitchen and a bathroom and they make extra money and it's a it's also a way people can le- legally help afford something by having access yeah. to that or maybe you could put a mother-in-law there that you don't want to be actually living with okay i i just think we need so much housing and, and this yeah. is affordable okay and and there's yeah. such a shortage of affordable housing well, ADUs do another great thing for us in that, what do they do? They they take a larger home, typically, that has property, and they put a smaller one right next to it, right? And so what right. you essentially have is you have, you know, all sorts of advantages for the homeowner in terms of, okay, if they want to age in place and they move into it and they don't need the big home anymore, they can rent it out and live in the backyard. Um, if they want to have a caretaker or if they have a, a family member that needs a place, right? Right. There's a whole lot of options that just make it, just makes sense for a lot of people. But here's the thing is that with ADUs, 
if you follow the statistics in terms of the places that open up to accessory dwelling units, it takes a really long time for those kind of like policy changes to impact affordable housing in the space. And the reason is basically because a lot of the people that can afford a bigger home on property and then also take out a loan or finance uh, another smaller home, like an accessory dwelling unit, because keep in mind, these are not cheap. It's probably about average of $200,000 to build one in your backyard. And that varies depending on the part of the country. But essentially, there's the people that can afford to build the ADU typically lack that kind of financial incentive to rent it out. And so the ADUs that get built, they get built as guest homes. They get used for, you know, um, just like uh, family members or even vacation yeah. rentals. But they very, a small percentage of them actually make it onto the rental market. And so that's why allowing them to be on non-permanent foundations is such an important thing to explore the significance of because mobility means, okay, say you own your home, you said in the Hamptons or something, or it it doesn't matter. But I know friends, but but I know friends in San Carver, which is out there that have little, like they're like like a room. They're like 400 square feet and they rent them out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they're legal. Yeah. And so, so if, if you, and that kind of law is happening all over the country now, the ADU laws. Um, but if you allow those accessory dwelling units to be a non-permanent foundation, what it means is that there's the possibility of dividing the upfront expenses of creating that ADU. And what I mean by that right. is that if you're a property owner and you want to you want to create an ADU in your backyard, you better have a big chunk of cash to do it, right? And if you don't, then that means that that ADU law is something that like, man, it would be great, but you can't really afford to take advantage of it. Now, if you allow for a tiny home to be used in the backyard, what it means is that you as the property owner, all you have to do is dig a trench and utilities to the backyard and you can rent out that space to me who owns a tiny home essentially, right? So you don't have to pay for the ADU and you can start creating a rental income with much fixed upfront expense. And and really, this is the most significant piece. And I'm so glad that we got here because what that does is it basically takes the ADU laws, which right now are an amazing opportunity, but really an opportunity that people of less affluent um, households can't take advantage of. And so it turns into this great thing for people who are already affluent or developers that are trying to maximize the rentability of a property. But for a lot of the people that really could use, you know, an extra bit of income every month um, and would love to have an actual rental in their backyard, well, and feel, and they so can't many people take can. advantage of it. You know, yeah. so many people and can. So and so many changer. people, yeah, so many people are renting illegal basements which could be dangerous yeah. if they don't have access, you know. Oh, that, and I don't want to embarrass you, but I have to. I just have an email that a text that came in and it says, "I'm so in love with Zach. I could live in a tiny house with him any day of the week." Okay, so I just have. I had to read that to you because, but 
Let me ask you. So, what's the procedure? I want to. I want to. If I'm thinking of doing it, where do I start? How do I start the process? How do I call you? Build them. How do I? Who do uh-huh. I get in touch with? And I know that all the states are different, so we can't give a blanket answer to every state yeah. in the United States. So, obviously, it would depend on the zoning and the particular area. You're in. But where does someone start? How do they? Who do they call if they're thinking of a tiny house and they want to maybe discuss yeah. it and weigh it out and see if it's worth if it's something that they could they would want? Who do they how, mm-hmm. how do they get to anyone? Yes, helps. You know, when I started out, when I first started out, if you wanted a tiny home, you pretty much had to build it yourself or hire a contractor and just do it. Right now, there's a lot of professional builders all around the country that are building tiny homes. Um, and what you need to be aware of if you're thinking about buying one is essentially how they're treated. And it, are you talking about a tiny home on a foundation? Which to me, when you're talking about a tiny home on a foundation, it almost needs a different word, right? And right. it requires a different name. But we're calling it a tiny house. So, for instance, let's just talk about tiny homes on wheels, movable tiny homes. Depending on the city or state or even county that you're in, they have different rules on how you can use those. Most places, if it's on wheels, it gets treated as an RV, which is only allowed for temporary living, right? So it's seasonal occupation. And as so soon as you say temporary living, you're, living, around, you're violating happens? that. Oh, no, so well, that's you saying. So it's not like a trailer. Different set of codes. Yeah, oh so, so when you think, okay, I'm going to do this really quick. When you are building on a foundation, you're building to IRC codes, essentially. Um, When you're building on a trailer, you have the option to build the HUD codes, which would be governing um, homes that are essentially what you would think of as a trailer home. Um, Manufactured housing is built to HUD codes. And then when you're talking about RVs, you're talking about getting built to something called the ANSI 1192 um, or NFP 1195. Um, and essentially what that means, and actually it's, it's, the, it's the opposite. ANSI is 11, 11.9.5, and that covers the park model. So essentially there's a bunch of different kind of code structures, and they all mean different things. But if you want to live in it, in most places, unless you're in a very rural place without any kind of zoning requirement, if you are not allowed to live it, if it's considered an RV and built those codes, right? Tiny homes do not necessarily comply with either the HUD requirements or the IRC. And so most professional builders are building to those RV codes. Zach, thank you so much. I hope you'll come on again because there's so much more we can learn from this. And I do think people are going in that direction. Thank you so much. We've learned a lot, and we'll be watching you. Okay, Mr. and Mrs. Local Business Owner, do you get calls from multiple digital marketing firms trying to sell you the quick fix to your marketing challenges? Maybe you've bought the latest tactic that some hotshot sold you and you're wondering where your results are. The problem is you know you need to market your business, but trusting a partner, well, that's been a challenge. Our solution for many local business owners is through our digital marketing solutions, Salem Surround. 
Salem Surround is unique because we're based on the same guiding principles that Salem Media is. We actually care about our clients and we're accountable to our results. The same care that we deliver our radio content to you is the same we do with all our digital marketing services. So reach out to us at SalemSurround.com today and we'll consult with you about your individual needs and create a customized plan to actually do what you need your investment to do. That's SalemSurround.com, a full-service digital marketing solution for your business. What does the perfect wedding entail? Just you, the love of your life, your guests, and the iconic New York City skyline. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can say, I do, all with gorgeous views of the New York City skyline in the distance on board the Atlantis yacht of New York Cruises. New York Cruises is the premier unique wedding venue. They have a dedicated staff of experienced hospitality professionals who can provide you with wedding cruise event planning services every step of the way. Your guests will be wined and dined on the main deck, sky deck, and lounge deck with three 360-degree views of the Manhattan skyline. The Atlantis of New York Cruises, the perfect venue for corporate events, weddings, engagement, and anniversary parties, reunions, retirement parties, birthdays, bar or bat mitzvahs, you name it. Call 212-633-1231 to book your unforgettable event today. 212-633-1231 or visit NewYorkCruises.com. This is Dottie Hartman, Vice Chair of Douglas Element and host of Ion Real Estate on AM 970, The Answer. Listen, I've just discovered a new line of skincare products that I have to tell you about. I have tried many products that have been on the market for many years, so that's why I'm so excited about Hempleaf. The Vanilla Passion Skin Cream is soft and the scent is calming. The feel on my skin, well, it's just amazing. It's not at all greasy, and I can feel my skin perking up. The black soap, while it may look less than inviting, was the most amazing surprise. It's smooth and creamy and makes my skin feel soft and hydrated. I'm really looking forward to trying the rest of the product line and sharing my thoughts with you. I would never put anything on my body that I wouldn't put in it. So visit us at www.hempleaf and it's H-E-M-P-L-I-E-F dot com. That's www dot H-E-M-P-L-I-E-F dot com. And remember, if you enter the word Dottie at the checkout, you'll receive a 10% discount. Discount. Try it. It's really one of the best creams I've ever did. Have tried. Continuing with Eye on Real Estate, your premier source for real estate information. Here's the host of Eye on Real Estate, the vice chair of Douglas Elliman, Dottie Herman. Okay. We have about 15 minutes left, and I was going to really start on market predictions, but I think that's a, a, a bigger topic than I want to do in 15 minutes. And I want to continue talking about the, the things, houses because they amaze me. I don't know if you've ever seen, but I did see a show on it, I think, a year ago, as I said. And, you know, the house, you know, when you look at it, it looks perfect. I mean, everything is beautiful. It fits right in. However, I'm not sure if you have to live in it if it, if it works or not. So I would think that somebody would want to try you know, at least uh, spending a day or two in something to make sure that they can live in it. Now, if you're one person, that's one thing because, 
you know, one person, it's, it's like a hotel room. 400 feet is a nice size, and you could fill a little kitchen in there, and you can cook. Um, when it gets to having families and, you know, more than one person, then I, I don't know. But, again, I think you really have to check with your locality uh, to see what they permit, okay, and what they don't. If they permit a small, tidy home on wheels, I mean, even if you have a, a, a town that allows you to do that, you could even use it for income and get extra income. And I think a lot of people might say that, hey, you know, it's tough today. And I think last week I said that, you know, I said it didn't happen, but that the city was thinking of legalizing basement apartments. Now, I always thought, like, I came from Long Island, and people did that all the time illegally, and they shouldn't have had to do it illegally because when you do it illegally, you might really not have this, the safety things that you need. And so um, if you legalize it, then and it has to be up to a code where then people can put in large windows so you can escape. There's got to be a way to escape. I mean, you don't want to be stuck in a basement and you can't get out because the windows are, are minute. And there's no outside way of getting in. But I think affordability is really tough. And I think that everyone should have an opportunity, if they choose to, to be able to buy a home. And as I have always said, you know, I've lived in my first house. I'm telling you, it was, I don't know, I think it was a tiny house, okay? Only they didn't have that terminology then. And I made it work, but it was mine. And, and so, you know, and then, you know, you look in the city and then, you know, you, you, if you lived in a house, you know, not that I lived in a mansion or anything, it was a regular house, but if you live in a house and you had a basement, you had this, and then you see the city apartment that's a thousand square feet and there's no storage or anything, and you're saying, well, how do people do it? People get used to things. And I think that it's something that if it's something that you might be interested in, um, you can buy some magazines. You can read further on it. Uh, do I think it's for everyone? No. and uh, But I think, you know, that it does serve a purpose. And when you see them, they're, they're, they're beautiful. Now, again, I wasn't really sure of the square footage. I mean, 400, squeed is, uh, 400 square foot is probably the size of a, a bedroom, maybe. But it also is the size of somebody's apartment, maybe in New York City. So I think that there's a lot to learn about it. There's pros and cons, and you have to weigh them out. But it's something that you should kind of, just for fun, learn about. And uh, if you have pets, I think that's another uh, thing. But, you know, when he said that you have wheels, I guess also the beauty of it is you can travel. And I didn't get a chance to ask him why. Somebody would choose a tiny home rather than, you know, get a normal size SUV. But um, I will get you that answer. I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of reasons that people choose tiny houses. But it is becoming a trend. I, I, I started to read about it last year, uh, just like I'm trying to read about the metaverse, which is really happening. And I think the next couple of weeks I want to talk about investments because I think that a lot of people don't realize that you can start investing in real estate as an investment and you don't have to have a lot of money. Um, you, you have to do your homework and you have to make sure the rent rolls work in. But you can, you know, again, 
financing. You can even do it with the FHA and put very little down. So I want to talk about financing and investing in residential, okay? Because I think that for the average person, like for me, stocks, you know, I'm not, you know, I have them, but don't rely on me to know. I, you can't, I can't follow them 24-7, so I have experts that do that. I think real estate, if you learn the basics and you read up on it, really most people can understand that. And if you buy an investment property, whether it's a one-family or two-family home that's not far away from where you live and you know the area, um, I think rental income is going to continue to rise and rise and rise. Okay? I just feel very big on rentals. Um, I feel that they're going to they're going to rise. And I think as more people can't afford homes, they're going to rise more. And, you know, the rents are fairly high. And some of the millennials rather not even buy. I mean, some people rather not buy. Some people rather just be able to just not worry about putting the down payment, having a nice place. So I wanted to talk a little about that um, on investment real estate. And I will give you the forecast for uh, 2023, 2024, 2025. Now, these are forecasts. And let me just tell you, when I was doing my homework last night and I was kind of reading up on who says what, well, there's a million different, there's a million different opinions of what's going to happen in the next couple of years. So there's no one set, oh, this is what's going to happen. All that we know right now is it's cooling down, but you, you didn't have to be a rocket scientist to figure that out. You can't have 42% growth in three years, and that continues. It had to slow down. And that doesn't mean that it's a bad time to sell. I mean, the house has just slowed down from appreciating, but they're still solid. And if you get a deal now, you're still in a great market, and the interest rates are fairly low. I think maybe, hopefully, they'll even get lower. Uh, but but I think that um, investment real estate is pretty safe. Um, you know, I mean, obviously, you have to have some capital, and you have to have money in case your tenant moves out, and you have to carry the place for a while. But I think it's uh, something that I'd like to really start to, to give you some rules on and whether it's something that works for you or not. I remember I had a person on the show last year. I mean, he called in and he said, Donnie, like I, I did my first investment and I will never do it again. The woman wouldn't move out. I had to go to court. I went to court three times. She still didn't move out. I felt like I was a criminal. I will never do, you know, so you have to have the temperament. You have to, you know, think of a lot of things. But I do think um, there's a lot of ways that you can make a little extra money, and I think that that's one of them. And there's some areas that I said, which I will bring up again, that are up-and-coming areas that are fairly inexpensive, but if things go the way they project, they're just going to keep on going up in value. I look at the people that are in Florida, and they're born in West Palm Beach, okay? Years ago, they paid nothing. Now you can't touch it. So there are areas, and you see the developers where they're going and where they're building, and I'm sure there's areas right by you where you could buy a small little property. So that's what I'm going to talk about next week, a little bit about investment and a little bit about um, what I see for the future um, 
And I do, inventory is still low. So remember that because it's low, there's still more buyers. They might have slowed up in the winter uh, or kind of waiting, but you, but they're there, okay? Um, and there's not enough, there's still not enough homes to meet the demands of buyers, even though there is a little bit more inventory than there was. So if you're a buyer, that's good news for you. There's a little bit more of a selection. Uh, there was really no selection for the last couple of years. Um, the market's better, uh, but tight. Uh, so another thing to do is if you're handy, you know, and you find a small house that you can build onto and you can improve later on. I know that young people want everything done and perfect now. They want a brand new house. I mean, new cells. So, but... You know, sometimes you have to make some sacrifices. But if I was selling my house, you know, and that's another subject, how I would get it ready for sale. And for you buyers, like I said, make a wants and needs. Because you very rarely get everything that you want, okay? You know, and if you're, if you're starting out, like I did, the house was smaller than my friend's apartments, but I started and I made my first money from the first little house that I bought. I bought like the worst house in a better area and uh, I did a little work to it. My dad was handy, so he helped me. Uh, I actually remember him building me a closet in the basement that he used shower doors. I could talk for another hour. I love you guys. I love hearing you. I love your questions and I wish call in. I wish you a great, safe, happy weekend. And don't forget, you don't need Valentine's Day to say you love someone. So tell the people you love that you love them. We'll be back next week. The preceding hour of programming paid for by DTHY Realty Incorporated. Portions of Eye on Real Estate, sponsored by Hempleaf. We won't put anything on your body that you wouldn't put in your body. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.